We're going to take our offering right now. Um, and if you are new, like Terry said, we're so glad you're here. Uh, if you're new, you can just let this go by. This is um, for our community, for those of you who say this is your church home um, and you're supporting it and being a part of it with your, your faithfulness. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hey, one quick announcement. Uh, it would be great to get this on your calendar if you're interested. Faith Walking 101 is a retreat that we do twice a year. We partner with Mile High Vineyard Church to put this on. Um, this is a, a core piece of what it looks like for us as a church to do discipleship, okay? And by discipleship, I mean apprenticing Jesus, following Jesus, learning from Jesus. We're going to talk about that more next week, uh, but faith walking is a, a chance for you to uh, be led on a journey to reflect on your life and to ask the kind of questions that draw you to, to a place of of, of healing and um, experiencing God in your life. And so we will have a number of us there. Um, there'll be small group leaders from our church there. And then um, it's a two-day thing. You can go on our website and sign up. It's one of those things that fills up quickly. So it's first come, first serve. If you're thinking about going and you don't have the finances, I believe it's $75. Please let us know. We would love to not have that be a hurdle. So... Um, as Terry said, this is week, the last week of our series in 1 Corinthians. And if you are new, you're actually just joining us on the final day of a journey that we started on January 1, basically. Um, and uh, it's been a long journey. Um, and some of you were nervous at the beginning of it. You're like, what? This is going to take forever. <laughs> and here we are. Um, We've had some really hard passages that we've had to unpack. We've had some stuff to wrestle with, and we've had some things to unlearn, right, um, as a church, as individuals and community. Um, and so today what we're doing is we're looking at the final part of the letter. Remember, this is a letter. It's not a book. Paul wrote it to a specific group, if I can communicate, a specific group of people um, at a specific time. And we unpacked that context and what was going on, where Paul was, where they were, um, how far away they were, when Paul would see them again, all these things we unpacked. We unpacked the culture, like Terry said. Um, and, and it's one of those things where it's like once we got to an understanding of the context, it was, it was, it was a little easier to understand what Paul was saying. Well, today it's this final kind of the final piece of the letter. And what Paul does is he circles back a little bit to some things he talked about before. Um, and, and some of these things are going to sound so random. Like he's just like, hey, I've got, you know, I've got five more minutes to jot down some things. I'm just going to throw some things down. It sounds a little random, sounds a little, uh, a little crazy. But on, on another level, these things have real purpose, what he's saying. They're like really, really intentional things. And really what Paul is doing as he closes this letter, is he's, he has a way of knowing how to make every sentence, like every word count in shaping the life of this church in Corinth. And I think these words have, have a huge amount of power to shape us today. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to start chapter 16, verse 1. We're just going to go through the text. I'm going to unpack a little bit here and there, but um, we're just going to go through it. Verse 1, he says, now about the collection for the Lord's 
people. We're going to stop right there. Um, obviously, this is something that the Corinthians knew about already. Okay? This is something that had been talked about a bit already. And, and he's just kind of bringing this back up. And it's a phrase he's used over and over again now about, and, and it's, it, they may have questions about how this is going to go. Okay, And so um, and we get no background here. What you do get if you go to the book of Acts, um, you get some more of a background on what's going on. There is a famine in Jerusalem. And it's brutal. And it's, there's a lot of uh, suffering. Um, Jesus followers in, Ju- in Jerusalem are suffering. Now remember that Jesus followers in Jerusalem are Jewish or Gentile. They're Jewish. They are Jewish followers of Jesus. The followers in Corinth are primarily what? Right. They're primarily Gentiles. So this is actually a really powerful moment that the the Jewish Christians could receive care and aid from the Gentile Christians. And we unpacked the Jewish Gentile thing a while back, and it was it's really, really powerful. And one of the things that um, a lot of times gets overlooked is Paul sees this as an opportunity for the Gentile Christians to band together and to send aid to the Jewish Christians who for years had said, you really can't be a part of this. Or in order to be a follower of Jesus, you got to become Jewish first, which happened in Galatia, right? That's why Paul wrote the book of Galatians to correct that error. And so, so there's this, this GoFundMe campaign that Paul is putting together for the people of Jerusalem, for the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. And, and he says this, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, and for them that was Sunday, and for them they gathered on Sunday evenings primarily, the early church, because Sunday was a work day, first day of the week, that's when they gathered. They gathered on the first day of the week, but on, in the evening, um, usually around a meal. He said, uh, do, it, do what I told them on the first day of every week, each one of you, and, and who would that be? Everybody, right? Everybody. Should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. So he's saying, like, just do this ongoing, okay? So at the end, we don't have to do it all. Like, it's all ready to go. He's like, I don't, we don't want to do a fundraiser thing. He's not wanting to do one of those, those thermostats on the wall, you know, money raising campaign things. He's just saying, just have your money set aside in accordance, and he goes on, in accordance with your income, um, in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when he comes, he's, they're, they're ready to go. Verse three, it says, then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve. He's like, I want you to pick people who you trust, who would be good to carry a large sum of money from your church to Jerusalem, okay? Which meant passage by sea, even. Um, say, uh, people you trust and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. So he's saying, hey, you guys can do this. Put this together. When I get there, you know, we can send people off with letters that say this is, you know, Paul and I'm, and this is coming from the, 
the church in Corinth and and he's like, just put together your posse, your group of people to take the money safely from all these different churches, but he's talking to Corinth specifically to Jerusalem. Now, how cool is that? Now, before we move on, I think chapter 16 says a lot about money. It doesn't say, it's not like a theology of money, but there's two things that chapter 16 does that corrects, I think, two myths that uh, American churches have about money. And we have a lot of problems with money. The first, the first myth is this, the 10% tithe. This is going to come as a shock for some of you. But the 10% tithe is nowhere in the New Testament. It's an Old Testament thing. We'll get to that in a second. But I, w- I was taught at a church not too long ago of, of a principle and principles are a little scary um, because we, we tend to think formulas um, and then you just follow it and do it. Um, the, the, the percentage uh, uh, principle of, of giving. Um, and, and I was taught by this guy and he was like, he called it the 10-10-80 principle. Now you give 10% of your income, you save 10% of your income, and, there, and then 80% of it is, is yours to do with whatever you want. And, and really, it, and the hard part about that one is, yes, you can find the 10% you know, principle, I guess, in the Old Testament when we talk about tithing. But if you really want to get into the principle method, uh, the Old Testament actually has multiple tithes that total up to 25%. So if you want to go that route, go for it, right? If you want to hold yourself to something like that, that's fine. I, but, but that's really not what the, the point is. Jesus' point about giving all the time is about everything you have is God's. And so the question is, how much of my money should I give? The question is, how much of my money should I keep? And so what Paul is trying to dismantle here, he's not saying, hey, uh, you should give 10% to this. He's saying everybody should give. Everybody should be a part of this in accordance to your income. And so what it kind of blows up this idea of a 10% thing. Um, God, we are in a sense God's money managers. And like we said a number of, uh, actually about a year ago, we did a series um, called Inertia where we talked about money and how money has, and our culture has an inertia to it. And we get pulled and we get, and, and we get kind of sucked into the, uh, the force of it. And the goal is to stay out of that force into something more open-handed. And so um, Paul says, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. The idea is the more you have, the more you should be able to give. And the more you should be able to help people and, and give, give your money away. Because ultimately, God and Jesus is generous. And if we're to become more like Jesus... That means we're, we're to be more generous, right? The more we live, the more we make, the more we become like Jesus. Now, for some of us, this actually means generous with our time and generous with our lives as well. And so the question really is, how can we be more generous? How can you be more generous financially or with your time or with your life and with God, what God has given you towards other people? That's one thing. So the second myth I think Paul blows up here is this idea that 
Money comes back to you when you give. You ever heard this before? Maybe watching TV late at night, flipping through the channels, and you come across somebody that, that says that if you only gave a little bit more, you would get more money in return. I may cough a little bit. Pull me down if I go to cough. Um, this is a distorted view of you are blessed to be a blessing. This idea that God gives. This is sometimes how we, from a Western American consumer reading of Scripture, get sideways. And we read Old Testament passages, prophetic passages, from our lens. And not from the original intent of the passage. And so some people will hear... Certain passages say things like, hey, if you only believe more, if you only give more, God will give you more. And that's not the intent. Paul's talking here about giving out of your generosity. And my guess is for many of the Corinthians, it was a sacrifice. It was a sacrifice for them to give, to set aside money for people they didn't know who may or may not have treated them well in the exchange of the gospel. And um, the idea behind Genesis chapter 12 is Abraham is blessed by God to be a blessing. And we talked about this, we used this analogy before, but this idea of being a funnel and not a bowl. That what God gives you actually should pass through your hands to somebody else. And more and more as you become more generous, and you may say, well, Ryan, I'm barely holding on. I get it. There's still a way for you to be a funnel and not a bowl. There's still a way for you to give and find margin in your life. And that's where the joy comes. And so many of us are like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be a bull and I'm going to give out of the overflow of my bull. And when I have enough, I'm going to give a little bit more. And, it, I, and, and I'll be content because my bowl is fill, full. But that's not the idea. The idea is, is the funnel. Trusting that, that God is going to continue to su- supply you and provide for you in your life. Like everything you and I do is from God. Every skill we have, every, every breath we breathe is from God. And so we can actually choose to trust more and be more open-handed with our things. Now, you're probably going, yeah, this is classic, classic pastor talk right here. Because you're just after our money. <laughs> well, if, you, if you're around here long enough to know, that's just not the case. Um, you may show up here with some, some church money baggage. Um, and I get that. And I'm not saying we're perfect. Um, I am saying, though, that we are a church that gives generously out of what you give. And so we give to some nationals, to Covenant World Relief. We're, we're involved in a church um, and in a school in, in, um, in Kenya that we fully fund for the year. Um, we're involved in work in Nicaragua. We're involved in some local 
work here in Arvada. We're involved in church planting financially. There's a lot that we give out of this small church to do what we do. And there's a lot of people who are trusted, who are dealing with the money around here. So we have put people in charge of money that aren't me, okay? And um, that handle our money and that clerk our money and that write checks and do the things that need to be done around here. So you guys can know that. And then he goes on, verse five, after I go through Macedonia, I will come to you for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while or even spend the winter. See, it was really dangerous to travel during the winter, just weather-wise, especially on the water. Um, Spend the winter with you so that you may help me on my journey, so you may support me, is what Paul is saying. Wherever I go. In verse 7, he says, For I do not want to see you uh, now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits, but I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost or in our language until after the holidays, right? There was a season there around Pentecost and, and uh, that, that was really rich for the life of a church um, and Paul wanted to be around in Ephesus for that. What's really interesting here is Paul's kind of going through his plans and it seems kind of like a passing kind of boring thing, like, well, okay, let's get on to the next thing. But Paul is making plans. He's intentional about his life. He's intentional about where he's going to go next and, and what he's going to do next. But at the same time, he's pretty open-handed, right? I mean, he says things like perhaps and wherever. And he says, I hope, and if the Lord permits. And I found this to be really interesting uh, because um, early on in my days of doing uh, youth ministry, um, I was a total administrative and detail planning wreck. And nothing was planned, um, nothing, you know, I'm just like, let's just see what happens, you know? And, um, and that was awful way to live. Um, it affected a lot of things. And so I had to become more organized. And um, one of the things that a lot of people make fun of me for, and this is just an illustration, but every week I make a list. Some of you have seen my yellow pad. Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. You've seen my stupid yellow pad, right? And you make fun of me for it, but they look like this, okay? It's just a yellow pad. Um, I'm pretty obsessed about my yellow pad. And uh, like if you ever see it out, like if I'm at Two Rivers or whatever and I have it out, um, like it's kind of sacred, right? So without the yellow pad, I lose my mind. Now, what's that? <laughs> yeah, and Sharpies. The Sharpies is the special touch because when I'm done doing something, like the smell of the Sharpie, right? And crossing it off, it's like, yes, things are happening. Now, um, I'm the kind of person that will write something down on a list even though I've already done it just so I could cross it off. Anybody else like that? All right. There's a, we're a sick group of people, but, but man, we feel productive. <laughs> But here's the thing with this. Um, this is last year's yellow pads. You want to know the sicker part? Is I have the year before, and the year before, and the year before. I have like 15 years of yellow pads. Now, I'm not saying that to brag or anything, but what you're going to notice, here's the thing that was really important for you to know. Not everything gets crossed off, okay? Not everything gets crossed off. 
Like, I have, like, man, I really need to do this, or that really needs to happen. But things come up, and perhaps I'll have time to do it, perhaps I won't. And usually about Thursday, I go, okay, what's going to actually happen, and what's actually going to go till next week? And the interesting thing about this is not to say you should do this. I'm not saying you should do this. I'm just saying I've had to come to learn that my life has to have intentionality. My life has to have like things that I'm pushing and chasing and leaning into and making a priority. And I need to hold everything open-handed. Does that make sense? Some of you are so, so organized and so strategic. And you get in this mode and nothing else matters. And there's no room there at all for what God's trying to do and, 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 and getting some, some margin in there for you to just change, switch gears and switch directions. Some of you are so free-spirited and so creative and so wanting an experience that you forget to make any plans at all. And I think that's just like a little note here. I think it's something we can learn from Paul, like, like be strategic, be intentional, and yet listen and wait for the Spirit at the same time. And how can those two things happen at the same time? I think it was just something that just caught me a little bit today when I was reading this. God is a planner. God is intentional. And yet God is very creative. And God is very spontaneous. And I think that we can learn from that. Verse 8. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened to me. And, this is really important, there are many who oppose me. Two things happening at the same time. A great opportunity, a great door has opened for Paul to do ministry, to do the gospel, to, to teach, and to all those things. But there's been a whole bunch of pushback. And I think this is also really important that we have to hold intention, right? Things may happen to us um, and we think, oh man, this, is, this, this looks perfect. This is easy. This is God opening a door. And if there's no pushback at all, I think we should be worried. Anytime we're following Jesus forward, anytime we're doing what God wants us to do, it's going to be hard. And it's going to be difficult. It's not going to be easy. And um, what I hear sometimes when I sit with people is they're overwhelmed by the pushback and the difficulty of what it looks like to follow Jesus in their specific context, whether they're another pastor or whether they're trying to start, start something new or you're a volunteer somewhere and you're feeling like, oh man, this is really hard. This is really difficult. Maybe this isn't what God wants me to do. And, and I usually, if not always, say that's exactly what God wants you to do. It's hard. It shouldn't be easy all the time. Meaning, some people say to me things like, I'm not happy. God wants me happy. Therefore, I'm going to bail on this. And here's the thing. If happiness was God's goal, like... It's really not God's will whether you're happy or not. It's, that, I mean, that's nowhere in scripture. That's like literally, you just need to know that God is much more about, God is much more than about your emotions or your happiness. He's actually 
I mean, living actually as happiness as your goal is, I think, a waste of your life. And so what Paul is saying here is, I think, something really, really powerful for us. This idea of when you're at the center of God's will, what God is wanting you to do, many times, often it's hard and frustrating at the same time. It's not easy because there's that obedience that's pushing you into it. And if you feel like you're running against the wind, chances are that's more of a sign that that's right where God wants you, okay? And not a sign that you need to stop running. Does that make sense? And so there's just that little piece there. And then he goes on to talk about leaders. He says, when Timothy comes, and this is the first time he's mentioned Timothy, and we'll talk about that here in a second, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you. It's an interesting phrase. For he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. No one then should treat him with contempt, send him on his way in peace so that he may return to me. I am expecting him along, the, along with the brothers. This is really interesting. He sends Timothy. Now, if you're familiar with the New Testament at all, you know that there's two letters that are written to Timothy by Paul in which Paul, for a lot of, some of the time, he's encouraging Tim, Timothy to be bold. He's encouraging Timothy to not be timid. See, Timothy was like a right-hand man for Paul. I think Paul recognized some of him, his leadership in him, and he's trying to encourage him. And he sends Timothy with this letter. Now, if you've been with us the last number of months, you know that there's some real spicy parts of this letter. Okay? This isn't a puppies and rainbows letter. And Paul sends Timothy. And this is how it works, right? Timothy shows up in the church. He's like, hey, guys, I got a letter from Paul. I'm going to read it now. <laughs> right? And they read it all in one hearing. And Paul's got to read. That, remember the part about the guy and his mom, mother-in-law? Remember that one? Or stepmom? You remember. And he's got, it's like probably on a scroll, right? And he's just reading through it. And he's just like, oh, boy. Um, you know, and he's reading that part and he's reading all this stuff about idolatry and how they're treating each other and division and all this stuff. And so Paul's like, hey, you should treat him well. Treat Timothy like Paul's like, Timothy's reading it, we think, out loud. And he's like, when Timothy comes to see that he has, that's me, um, see that he has nothing to fear, um, so I thought this was totally interesting. And he says, go easy on him, send him back in peace. And then he says in verse 12, now about our brother Apollos. And we already talked about Apollos earlier. He says, I, strong, I strongly urged him to go to you with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity. And I think this is really strategic by Paul. Because remember back in chapter one, they talked about the different people that people were siding with. He says, some of you follow Apollos, Apollos, some of you follow Paul, some of you follow Peter, and some of you say you follow Jesus, which we talked about what that meant. And this idea that people were kind of aligning with different teachers, like the sophists, right? And they were like, hey, I like Paul better. No, I like Apollos better. And I think this is really strategic because um, the major problem being divided, he could have sent Apollos, 
He could have sent Apollos. And Apollos is like, no, man, I think it's better that, that I don't go right now. I think it's better that they hear this letter just from Timothy. And what's funny is, it's like, in the letter, nobody follows Timothy, right? <laughs> like, Timothy's just like, oh, I'm not a celebrity. But he's just faithful and steady. Paul says, listen, do not forget, you have lots of leaders, right? Restoration, you just need to understand, there are a lot of leaders in this place. Our leadership team, our staff, our teaching team, there are people just leading major things around this place. And it's not like I'm the CEO. In fact, many of those leaders speak into my life and correct our, you know, my life on a weekly and bi-monthly uh, bi basis. And you just need to know that. And we're always adding more leaders. Um, but the center of the church is, is Jesus. And then he gets to five rapid-fire commands to close out the letter. First one he says in verse 13 is, be on your guard. He's like, don't put up your feet. Keep your eyes open. Stay alert. Then he says, stand firm in the faith. This idea of faith being the word allegiance. Stand firm in your allegiance to Jesus. When doubt comes, when temptation comes, when sin comes, don't give up and throw in the towel. When those times come that you don't feel anything, when God feels like a concrete wall, Stand firm. And then he says, be courageous, be strong. He says, don't be weak, don't be flimsy, don't back down. And then this one's great. He says, do everything in love. It's like, what? What is he doing here? It's like, be courageous, be strong, stand strong, but do it all in love. Do it all in love. Remember, he's hearkening back to chapter 13. We talked about that quite a bit. By the way, go back. If you've missed anything, go back. I would encourage you to do that and listen to what you can. Paul envisions people who follow Jesus to be on the one hand strong and bold and courageous and on the other hand loving one another and compassionate and caring. He, he, he envisions go-for-it people, right, like intentional, and yet at the same time, really compassionate and loving. And it's really interesting when you ask, is Jesus, was Jesus strong or loving? Yes. Yes. I mean, we get this idea sometimes that Jesus was this like kind of weak, like simple, like quiet, maybe humble man, like a teacher guru type. Uh, Jesus, for a lot of his life, was a what you think of is you think of a carpenter, but they didn't build houses with wood. The carpenter piece didn't come until the end, which was the roofing part. Everything was rock. So if you moved rock for your living, and you shaped rock for your living. Like, I can imagine Jesus being pretty tough, actually. Pretty rugged. And yet, at the same time, you know, he's a, he's a guy that uh, is pretty strong and traveled a lot and, and could travel long distances, probably in really good shape. And my, my guess is, is that, you know, it took a little bit of boldness to walk into a temple and start pushing over stuff um, and to confront not only the religious empire, but the Roman empire. And, and at the same time, he's, 
compassionate and gracious and loving and tender towards people. I just think that has a lot to, a lot to teach us. Verse 15, you know that the household of Stephanus was, were the first converts to, uh, in Achaia and, and they have adopted themselves to the service I'm sorry, they have, a, they have devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. And so one of their early leaders, one of the, uh, he, he came to faith under Paul. So he's like three years into following Jesus and his whole household is now followers of Jesus. He says, I urge you brothers and sisters to submit to such people and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. This idea of submit is something that we just love to hear. We love the word submit. I mean, it's just our favorite. It's actually translated to voluntarily yield in love. This idea is that he redefines authority around this idea of, of Jesus and submission and that it's not a title. And when you live out of authority, you live out of serving other people and, and you earn the right to lead other people by serving them. And this idea of submitting to each other and and hearing from each other was really beautiful. He says, I, w- I was glad when Stephanus for two to, for, and then these two guys arrived because they have supplied what was lacking from you for they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. So these three guys come from Corinth and they bring some concerns, but they really encouraged Paul. They refreshed Paul. And I think that was really, really cool. What was it like? I mean, do you, you know people like this in your life? That whenever you're with them, they just, they just refresh you? Do you want to be that kind of a person? I mean, what would it look like if you and I were the kind of people that refreshed each other? Like just, we're able to just by our mere presence, just care for each other. We're not complaining when we get together. We're not, we're just like breathing life into each other. I guess you just ask, who can you refresh today? Who needs it in your life? And then he looks at the churches large when he finishes. He says, the churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Hey, he's like, hey, Corinth, there's other churches. And they send you greetings. I just want you guys to know, church, that there, if you hadn't noticed, there's other churches. And we're not in competition with them. In fact, I was together with like eight or nine pastors this week, and we prayed for each other, and we encouraged each other. And it's not a competition. Whether you go here or you go to Red Rocks across the street or Foothills or Mile High Vineyard or any, any churches, I don't... We're not in competition for your attendance. And you need to know that. Aquila and Priscilla, um, this couple reminds me of those couples that wear matching clothes. I don't know why. It, maybe, maybe not. Um, they greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets at their house. Um, this is why we meet together outside of this. Uh, That's why we have dinner groups and we meet for coffee and there's 10-man table and there's all these things happening because it's really good to do life together. We'll talk more on that in a few weeks to come. Verse 20, all the brothers and sisters here send you greetings. 
Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, I know some of you were just couldn't wait for this verse. You were like, yes, when are we going to practice this? Right, Dan? We talk about practice all the time. Right now? Yeah. Come. <laughs> now, near Eastern culture, uh, family would do this. Guys would kiss guys on the cheeks, and ladies would kiss ladies on the cheeks. And it would be a very familial greeting. Paul has created the church to be a family. So he's encouraging them to act like their family, like their brothers and sisters. And it's a really beautiful picture. It's a crazy beautiful idea. Just this idea of, of being a community that has affection for each other. And a lot of times I talk to folks and they're, they're, you're really nervous about talking to people here. You're like, I just want to come in a little after it starts. And I want to leave a little before it ends because I don't want to talk to people. This isn't a movie. And I get that at a movie. And for those of you who are introverts, you're feeling like I'm calling you out right now. And I, I get it. I get it. You're better with just one person. You're, you matter. And people want to know you. And, um, and I want that to push you and stretch you. And I'll just leave it there. Verse 21. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. If anyone does not love the Lord, let that person be cursed. Dang. What is he saying? It's a weird way to wrap up. Um, those are two words there. You've heard them before. Um, if anyone does not maranatha, let that person be anathema. Okay? And what Paul is really saying here is that we don't run around and tell people that don't know Jesus that they're cursed. That would be a poor thing to do. What Paul is, he's writing this letter to a church of followers of Jesus, okay? And what Paul sees, he sees following Jesus with really serious eyes. And he sees the community of followers of Jesus very seriously. And so he's saying, hey, be in on this or be out on it. Like, if you're here and you're, you want to know what it looks like to follow Jesus, man, you are welcome here. Be here. But if you're here and you just want to just, you know, maybe sell some more real estate or get some more business contacts or stir some things up, Paul's saying, let's, let's not do that. And then he says this. These are his closing words. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen. Brothers and sisters, 1 Corinthians. We're done. That's it. Yeah. So um, it's been a joy. It's been probably the hardest, uh, most difficult chunk of teaching that I've been involved in. And the teaching team has been amazing. Um, Randy back in the corner with the Seahawks jersey and Dan and, and Gabe and Ben. Um, just been just so helpful unpacking all of this. Um, and, and it's just been a joy to be a part of this with you. But what I want to do is we have a few minutes. And I, I warned some of you that we had a few minutes. I would love for you to share. 
maybe something that's been on your heart, maybe something that the Spirit has been teaching you and challenging you with, maybe it's something that you just feel the church needs to hear as an encouragement, as a building up. Um, and so we're going to just leave some time open. There are two microphones here, and we are recording this for everybody who's not here, that they want to hear it. And I'm going to start uh, with, uh, well, I'm not going to start with it. I have a couple that were sent to me. But um, and so it's open mic. So we don't do this often. Um, and so please begin if you have anything you would like to share. While you're waiting, while I'm waiting for you, um, this is from Gabe Hernandez. Some of you guys know Gabe and Kimmy. They couldn't be here today. He said, restoration as a church has been many things to me and my wife. The church embraced my wife and created the perfect set of circumstances and relationships for her to thrive and utilize her giftings for Christ's glory and for the strengthening of the body. The church created an avenue for which I was able to immediately insert myself upon leaving my home of 38 years and my local body of believers for six years. The church has stood by us and supported not only us, but our ministry spiritually, relationally, emotionally, financially, and wholeheartedly. We would not be where we are today without the love of a local body of believers like Restoration. That's from Gabe, Gabe and Kimmy. And this is from Lily and Donnelly. She says, I think the encouragement from Corinthians is to remember the covenant God has made with his people and, to, and listen to the Holy Spirit. Be quiet and listen and allow God to work through us to share his love with the world by our words and our deeds. That's from Lillian. Anything else you would like to share? I love that. Yes, Brad. I would love for you to speak in one of these mics. So I, I was really challenged when we were in chapter 14 <clears throat> um, and trying to understand what it looks like um, for, the, for the Holy Spirit to move in us when we gather together. Um, and the passage that, uh, that I'll read out loud that I've been challenged with is uh, 1426. Um, what then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation, and everything must be done so that the church may be built up. And uh, yeah, as I, as, I, as I ponder that and I think about that, I. I wonder what that could look like with us as a, as a body um, when we come together on Sunday mornings and when we meet in small groups, too. So that's what I have. Thanks, Brad. So I have this, like, note-taking Bible, and I've been taking notes on the side, like, the whole time. I don't know where to stand. Um, <laughs> But I was looking back on my notes, like, throughout the whole time and to see, like, what's been a consistent theme throughout. And 
from the beginning to the end, there's this idea of like humble unity. Um, in chapter 1, verse 26 on, it says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Um, and it keeps going on about the same thing. Um, and then you go all the way through, and there's like, we talked about what are the gray areas, liberal versus conservative, living in tension, um, all of these spiritual gifts, um, a lot of controversial things that I think, money even, things that are easy to tear apart, things that can bring disunity or conflict in the church. Um, but I think Ryan did a beautiful job of looking at these things that are hard to talk about and somehow bringing unity and humility out of them. Um, and I think that's something that, those are both things that we should take and walk with the rest of our lives, is humility and unity and pairing those together instead of choosing disunity and conflict and bickering. Um, yeah. That's great. Whoever touches the mic first wins. Um, I just feel the Lord calling us this morning to a whole nother level of intimacy. And that is scary. It is scary to let walls down that we've built up in people and with the Lord based on people relationships. You know, we build up walls with him, um, but he has something far greater than the walls that we've built up. And, um, and I was just thinking about this, and, you know, the, the reason that we, well, not only the reason, but one of the reasons that we deepen our relationship with the Lord is so that we can impact everyone around us. And Jesus never left somebody the same, and he keeps telling me that. I never left someone the same, and we're called to do the same. But we, we can't do that at the level that he's calling us to if we have walls built up with people and walls built up with him. So I just want to pray for us. Um, and, and I totally get that intimacy is scary. Um, I, I have been experiencing the Lord in almost sacred ways that it feels too exposed to talk, not, not in a weird way, but just intimacy at such a level. And I, I felt the Lord just calling me in the back, like, call the people out. You know what it feels like, call the people out. So that's what I want to do. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this time. We thank you for this space. We thank you for the people. Lord, we, you are so worthy. You are so worthy of our praise, and you are so worthy of us knocking down the walls. God, you are calling us so much deeper. You are calling us so much deeper. And as you've shown me time and time again, the deeper is actually so much easier than the shallow, just like in a pool. It's so much easier to float in the deep end than in the shallow end, God, and you are calling us deeper. I just ask that you would give us grace a grace that surpasses all judgment, Lord, as we learn what it feels like to knock down the walls, as we learn what it feels like to walk in this new way that you're calling us. And Lord, all for your glory, all for your glory that, that people will come to know you through us, Lord. Make us your vessel. In Jesus' name. Hard to follow that, but I just want to say... Um, Probably the biggest thing I picked up uh, that's been weighing on my heart is just relationships. Mm. And that's both with, um, through Jesus, with God, 
and then obviously laterally with other people. Um, I, I think that the sermon where you talked about the smoking pot and the, um, and the torch just points to, you know, God wants a relationship with his people, and yet um, his people don't have to be perfect. So that's awesome. I'll leave it at that. Well said, Dan. Thank you. I'm going to invite the band up. I'm going to just wrap this up with a little bit of worship together. And so let me let me pray as we head into that. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for how you've led us how you've steered us in scripture the last number of months. God, we look forward to what it looks like to follow you as a community, to step into the relationships we have with each other in a deeper way. God, I just think about what Jen said and how you want us to become a people who who know each other more, who are closer, who do life together who are experiencing each other and what what each other is uh, experiencing from you and and can be an encouragement to each other. God, I just want to say that this church is such a joy to serve, such a, a joy to do life with. And this place is not perfect. But through your grace and love, would you lead us to become a church that is constantly repenting and confessing and humbly following you into grace and love. I pray these things in